It's a wonderful day. Yes, it is. It's the most wonderful day because God is alive and I'm alive. And you are alive. It's a terrible thing as a preacher to speak to dead people. But God is alive and we are alive. And it's a, a special occasion for this church body of people today that we're giving recognition to a couple and, uh, and for Michael particularly to be set in amongst the elders of this house. It's a very, very important thing to happen in this church today. Yes. A significant thing is going to happen. Something's going to take place. The anointing of God is going to be here. Yes. The presence of God is going to come upon the people we pray for. And the church is going to make a major step forward yeah. in its progress. That's, right. that's exciting. Yes, it is. And therefore, when I was asked to come along here today, I thought, well, we need a prophetic ministry to come along. Uh, so I uh, made a request from James, who's here today. He's been already introduced. James Topless from, from York. I'm so glad to see him with his wife, Abby, and the children. I want the children to be as be. To, well, to be as well behaved as you always are in my meetings. <laughs> um, so I'm so glad that James and Abby were able to come here today. And I've also asked that uh, John Sutton Smith, who was one time an elder in the Church of Government Eldership, and David Rayner, who was also an elder in the Church in Government Eldership, and they came out of the government eldership of the church, but they are still the elders in the house by virtue of age and spiritual maturity. Yes. And I've asked them to join us today to be praying for Mike and Ali when they come forward here. But I'd like to take you to some scriptures, but just before I do so, I want to make this very clear. The success of the body of Christ and the church in general, is due to a leadership that knows where they are going. There have been many a disaster that's occurred in life because leadership has failed. Not in times past, but many today are failing. Some fail through um, moral failure. Some leaders fail because of pride. Some leaders have failed because of an abuse of authority. Some who just simply have given up on the job and they're tired. It's now become a, a job rather than an anointed service. But I want to be able to say this to you. There are, however, many people in leadership who have not failed. And there are more of them than have failed. And they believe that what they stood for and saw at the beginning yeah. is going to be achieved. Yeah. Yes. That's right. They actually believe that the church of Jesus Christ is going to be something at the time when Jesus comes is not going to be a group of people scorned or scoffed at. That the world is going to look at the church of Jesus Christ as something, as an object, not of derision, but of something to be emulated. Something that the world can point at and say, there are the people of God. If you want to come to know God, you need to get amongst those people. They will lead you to Christ, and in coming to know Christ, you'll understand what it's all about. 
We are not going to go out as a wimp. We're going to go out victorious. The words that the Lord spoke to the churches in Revelation, to him that overcomes, I will give to them. So today we are going to set again in process something that's going to take this church over a hump. Over a hump. Because today we are announcing we make a highway for our God. Every mountain it will be leveled. Every ditch will be filled in. Why? The king's coming. And we are going to be ready for it. Right? Now, if you have a Bible with you, if you have a Bible, um, or a telephone with the Bible on, no, <laughs> these days it's... Um, um, I'll take all my scriptures from the New Testament, so you only need, quote, half of the scriptures with you today. Just for this purpose. And I'd like you, first of all, to turn to the book of Thessalonians. That's a, a New Testament book. We know that that's written by Paul. At least that one is. In the 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12. Now, I am told before I got here that all of you are good readers. Hands up if you do not qualify. I was told by all the leaders of this church, everyone Sunday morning in the house of God are good readers. So if you are not a good reader, don't be ashamed. You can raise your hand like, I, like I've got mine up. I can read, but I may not be a good reader. So all of you qualify. Now, what I'm going to do to help you, to keep you alert, this is what I'm going to, to keep you alert, I'll just point to you and say, would you read it, please? All right, so you, you'll all be alert. Now, I know that you have, I think, I'm assuming, you were visitors? Visitors? Well, welcome. So, would you like to opt out of my challenge? <laughs> So I won't put you under pressure, okay? I'll, 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 this particular row, I'll forget you, okay? All right? So in 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5 and verse 12. Sir, would you kindly, could you stand up, please, as you... One verse, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, thank you. to recognize those who are over you in the Lord. Respect those who work hard among you who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. This is something the elders are to do to us. This is what leaders are to bring to us. And this is what we expect from them. They are over us, to lead us. We are not directionless people. Neither are we a group of people that we all do what we think we should do, personally. No, we are a company of God's people to be led in the direction God wants to take us. And to have leaders that know what way to go and they lead us because we follow them, because they're over us. They are over us. 
Another scripture is 1 Timothy 5, 17. I was just about to point you, but I thought you're out of it. Edgehill College. I, would you kindly read that for us, sir? Thank you. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. We want to look at the word to rule well. Is anybody here who knows what it is to, to rule? Sorry? To serve? It does mean to serve. Is there anything else that's implied in the word to rule? To rule over? Anyone to help? To guide. Absolutely. To guide. That's involved. Anything else? Right at the back, sir? To have authority over. Where is that displayed in society? Yeah, can you think of a modern-day example? The police. The last time I visited this particular area of the country, there was somebody in the middle of the road, and he did this. He had a black uniform, silver buttons, a funny helmet. I didn't know who he was. Never seen him before. And you know what I did? That's what you think, all right? I can't tell you I'm in court next week, but I, I stopped. I didn't even know who he was, but he had a black uniform, silver buttons, and I thought, that's a policeman. He had authority. I had to say, you have authority over me. I don't know why you're stopping me. I'm in Southport. I'm on holiday. I'm enjoying the rain. <laughs> That's what it is like my last visit, okay? But he stopped me. And there was something else going on, so I thought, oh, I'm glad he stopped me. It allowed these people to pass safely. But he had authority over me. Elders in the house of God are not here to abuse any authority. They're here to watch us, care for us, to simply say, like the policeman did, stop there's something ahead of you that you don't know about, and if you are not warned about it, there's going to be a nasty accident. So he did something he did. That's all. That's all. An elder is to have authority over. Next one, please. 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. Let's see. I've had the edge held. Is there any ed other Edgehill student here? Are there any other Edgehill students here? <laughs> Sir, are you able to read this verse for us, please? Thank you. Thank you. Can you read that for us again, please? 
The man who becomes an elder is someone first who desires an excellent word. Verse 4, it says this, going on from verse 1. He must manage, rule his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage or rule his own family, how can he take care of God's church? In other words, a man who fails to rule, to manage, to direct, to guide his own family is not qualified to be an elder, to lead, to manage, to rule God's people, God's house. So today we are recognizing somebody who fulfills that qualification. Purely by first his desire to follow God or their desire to pursue God, but also the grace of God to help them do it. So now we come to the people that I excluded. <laughs> the man who leads, directs, brings his family up well, where his children respect him and obey him at all times, because that's what I was told. That father, that mother, that husband, that wife has a right to be considered to lead the people of God. I'm assuming, looking at you, your brothers, and therefore these must be your parents. Yes? So I'm assuming they brought you up well, otherwise you would not be in attendance today. Well done. It's good to see you. The second thing I want to say about eldership is here another scripture, is 1 Timothy 3, 2. So we're leaving now Edgehill College, and traveling down to the very front row. Hello. So I've noticed you've written it down. So would you be kind enough to read that verse for us, please? The overseer must be above reproach, but one of his qualifications, he must be able to teach. Notice this, he must be able to teach, not necessarily preach. There are teachers that are not able very well, not able to preach very well. And there are preachers who do not teach very well. But an elder must be able to teach. He must be able to instruct he must be able to guide. He must be able to open the scriptures and rightly divide the scriptures to us. Not pluck a scripture out and base all doctrine on one scripture, but simply base his doctrine on the tenor of scripture. What do the scriptures say? That's why I feel safe in the house of God, particularly today. We are living in a society where society is teaching society what to believe. Much of it is contrary to the scripture. The elders are not here to teach us what society teaches. The elders are here to teach the church of God what the scriptures teach, and in doing so are teaching society what God is teaching them. 
Society is not here. The culture of today is not there to teach or explain our Bible. Our Bible is here to explain culture. And the culture of today, sadly to say, is contrary to the Word of God. That's why as children of God, you can feel safe in the house of God to know the direction for your personal life, your family life, your work life, because you have leaders that are instructing you in the principles of Scripture. I thank God. The next scripture I want to bring to your attention is 1 Timothy 5, 17. And perhaps we could have the gentleman in the front row, please. Yeah, we could have it again. Have you ever said amen twice? The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Preaching and teaching, instruction, giving instruction. It's vitally important today that we have instructors in the Word of God. God's people know, need to know the Word of God. Is there anybody here who's ever been tempted by the devil? Or at least one of his emissaries? You've been told something and you think, that's, I, I, that's a bit contrary to what the Word of God says. And you're trying to find a scripture. But when you've got leaders who not only tell you scriptures, but we learn together to memorize the scriptures. That now we know the scriptures, not because merely it's written, but we've put what is written inside our mind and heart so that when an enemy comes and speaks word contrary, you're able to flip out a scripture. We need to know the scriptures. That's what leaders are for. To teach us, to preach and to teach. Titus 1.7, and there's a lady they're flicking the page. Would you be kind enough to read that for us, please? Titus 1, 7. Before you sit down, before you sit down, may I ask you to read then verse 9 as well. Thank you. Thank you. He holds firmly to sound, not questionable, but sound doctrine. If you know the truth, Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Free from what? Let's go through it. You shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. But free from what? It's free from everything opposite to the truth. The Apostle Paul in his epistle said, the great tragedy is you believed a lie. We look at the news. We look at the newspaper, read the newspapers. And much that is put forward is not the whole truth. 
But Jesus said, I am the truth. And when you know the truth, when you come to know Jesus, you will know him and he will set you free from the lie that you've been living. Here's one of the lies you live. I can get to heaven just by doing good. A lie. I can get to heaven by just keep going to church. A lie. I can get to church. I can get, get to heaven if I um, pay my taxes appropriately. And No, it's a lie. You say, well, how can you go to heaven? By first getting right on earth. By getting your life into line with God's purpose for your life. It's turning around in your mind. A repentance is turning around in your mind and a turning around in your action. You're saying, I'm no longer going to do that. I'm turning around. I'm going to follow Jesus. He's my number one. You say, well, that's old time preaching. Yeah, but it's the truth. Truth doesn't change. Because God is the truth, when God made the first two people on earth, Adam and Eve, please understand that, I believe that. Because the Bible says so. It wasn't some cataclysmic, huge bomb, boom, bang, bang, and something came into it. No, there was a mighty God who lived outside of his creation. He's much bigger than that. And suddenly he put it all in place, and then he put a little speck on a, a, a man, and then he created out of that man a woman, and he put them on earth to just enjoy each other and enjoy him. And he told them the truth. And this is what he said. Enjoy everything in the garden. All the fruit in the garden, enjoy. But see that tree right in the middle? You don't touch it. Because the moment you touch it, you're going to die. Surely die. Suddenly into the garden. The Bible describes him as a serpent. He's also described as a dragon in the, in the book of Revelation. Satan comes. And this is what he says. Did God say? What's he saying? I'm asking you to question what you've been told by God, the Lord God. And she questioned, and she took, and she ate, and she died. She did what God should told her not to do, and Adam did the same by following her. They ate the apple, all the fruit, whatever it was, and suddenly they died. Their physical death took place a long time later, but their spiritual death already occurred. What God said happened. My friends today, visitor or non-visitor, what God says is going to happen. After this life, we are all going to meet him. And we are going to meet him and our future days ahead of that will be determined by the decision we've made here. So he says to everybody, from the preacher out or behind me, he simply says this, to all people, turn from your sin, turn from your ways, come to know Jesus Christ, put your life in his hands, 
live a positive earthly life with success, and you know your future is secure. But you don't need to be looking to the future. Just enjoy the kingdom of God now. Next scripture. Now that we've had since the elder is entrusted with these wonderful works, teaching us in sound drafting, that is what he is going to, or they will teach us. That's the minimum expectation for us to expect from them. But they also have a right to expect from us something. So let's look at what they should expect from us. 1 Thessalonians 5.12, please. Let's see. The gentleman in the front row here. Thank you. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. We request you, brethren, house of God, that you respect. Anybody knows what respect is? Sorry? To honor. Well, how, somebody tried to tell me, how, how can you demonstrate that? How can you show respect for people? By obeying them? Do you think that some people can obey an instruction but not respect the person who's given the instruction? Is it possible to be in a house where mom and dad have given you an instruction and you obey it because you fear the consequences, but you don't respect it? Let me say this to you. you. If you respect somebody, you will obey them. If I respect my parents, I will obey them. My obedience is showing that I respect them. If you're a teacher in the classroom, we've all been, is there anybody here who's never been in a classroom? How many of you, including myself, how many of us obeyed the teacher at all times internally? <laughs> Whatever the teacher said, in, in heart, I always believed what, I'm thinking of a particular teacher now, I always believed what she said. I always respected what she said. I never did what she said. That's why I was known as an outstanding student. I was always standing outside the class. I'm not asking you to go down that road because you are all respectful people, okay? But it's simply this, we have to respect our leaders, right? 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 13, there it says this, I'll read it to you. Hold them in highest regard in love because of their work. Hold them in the highest regard. Respect them. Hold them. with a, Look at them and think, not only do I hold you in the highest regard, I'm submitting to them. I submit to them. If they tell me to, to do something or to change the way of my behavior because they are instructing me from the scriptures. They are simply saying, Carrie, do you really want to make your life, um, do you want to make your life a positive 
venture in this world for Jesus? I say, yes, I do. They say, do you really want to make progress in your Christian life? I say, yes, I do. Then they say, you've got to change your ways. And you have to, quote, stop lying. Lying? A Christian to stop lying. Do you know the Apostle Paul told the Ephesian church to stop lying? If you read the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters are telling us all the wonderful things we have in God. And then he addresses it. And this is the practical application of that. Well, let's take it in another one. First, stop lying. Here's another one. Stop stealing. You say, do you think that Christians need to be told that? Perhaps the world, but Christians, yes, sometimes it needs to be told us. Why? Because sometimes we do things that we don't think are wrong. But the Bible says they are wrong. How many of you have read the scripture and in reading the scripture you suddenly found, oh, that's I didn't know. That's what I do. I didn't know that's wrong. I, I took it. Uh, the, this, this envelope came through to me the other day and uh, I was looking for a first class stamp and I, I didn't have any money on me but this envelope came through in the post and it hadn't been franked. So I got the kettle to boil. And the steam came out. And I was able to get this stamp off the envelope. And you know what? It is wonderful, God's provision. And I pasted it down in another envelope. And God says, no, 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 Kerry. You can't do that. It sometimes happens when we have to fill in our tax forms. There's so many ways, but suddenly the Spirit of God in you says, no, you can't do that. And this is why we have leaders. Obey them. Obey them in everything. We have to submit to their authority because they are men themselves who are going to have to give an account. An account to whom? To they're going to have to give an account for everybody that they are overseeing. Would you like to give an account for a hundred people? That's why I look at some people who want to be an elder and question their sanity. It has to be God. You understand that? We have children. Some of them have one child. We've had five children. People come to me sometimes and say to me, uh, how many children do you have? I say, well, it depends. I said, I say five, my wife says six. And they say, what do you mean? I said, I am the sixth. Do you understand? Now, most of the wives here understand what I've just said. Most of the husbands have already bristled. But you know full well it's this mum and dad are out there to look after you. Sometimes they're there to correct you. Not because merely for their own self and pride. They just want the children to grow up in society and be model citizens. But in the house of God, it's simply more than that. If Mike is coming in today to be an elder amongst the elders that are here, they are going to have to give an account to God for everything that they've told us by way of instruction 
by their very lives that are supposed to be examples for us to follow, they have to give an account for that. So if they tell me to do something that I don't want to do it, I'm not going to be accountable for it. I will do it in obedience to the Lord. And the Lord's not going to punish me for that. He just simply says, he's an obedient guy. But the person who's given me the counsel, if it's wrong, is going to give an account for that when he meets the Lord. And I say, praise the Lord. There's a silence in the house. Judgment always brings silence. The final scripture is, is simply this I want to bring for you, which is often hard for Christians. There are many others, but I want to bring this one to you because it's time's gone. We have to give them, those of them are, that are living full-time in the house of God, living of the gospel, adequate financial support. I hear a sound very quietly from the congregation. We have to give them financial support. 1 Timothy 5.17, which we've read, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain. Now, it, that is an illustration it's not telling elders are oxen. It's the illustration, it's drawing from it uh, the idea that the elder who is laboring in the word of God and teaching, who's going to give an account for our lives, who is teaching us things that are of eternal value, what they are doing is worthy of, if they're doing it well, worthy of a double honor. That means a double pay. Some people say, Phew, brother, if they were having a double pay, just think of what I'm getting and a double pay. Well, you're only worried because you already get a lot. And double pay of your pay is a lot. Let me tell you what happened to me when I first began in ministry. I think I've told you the story, but some have never heard the story. You're going to hear a great story how preachers begin in ministry. There was a particular church that heard I was coming out of, quote, a Bible school, and I was coming into ministry, that is, go around preaching. And the man there called me to see him, and he said, I heard you coming, a preacher. I've got a car for you. I said, a car? He said, a car for you. I'm giving it to you. I said, that's very kind of you. Thank you. He said, it's a Ford car, a Ford. I said, thank you. I said, well, he said, when can you collect it? Well, I said, I'll bring my friend up with me. He knows about cars and uh, we'll come up today. Perhaps it's a, it's a Sunday then, perhaps a Tuesday. He said, that's fine. He said, I just feel the Lord wants you to have it. So we went from the Bible school up to this man's house took us to the garage, opened the garage. My friend, and it's a gleaming Ford car, gleaming black Ford car. My friend said to him, could I look at the engine? 
say, well, there's a bit of a problem there. He said, um, I sold the engine. I said, you sold the engine? Well, yes, there was a man down the road. His car broke down. He had a Ford, and therefore he was looking for a reconditioned engine. So I said, there's an engine here. He said, I didn't know about you at the time. So I said, what you're saying is you're giving me the shell? Well, he said, you're a man of faith. <laughs> it's amazing how people use things on you. If you get a big gift of money, you're not a man of faith. If you get a car with no engine, you're a man of faith. That's the beginning. So we had to believe for money to put an engine in. Because people suddenly think, and as I grew up then in the beginnings of ministry, it was always, this was the saying, at least in Wales. If you keep, by and large, keep a man poor, you'll keep him humble. Now, I want to say this to you. Keep a man poor, you keep him poor. And I've not met anybody who's poor that wants to remain poor. God does not keep you poor. He became poor that we could. Let's get it now. He became poor that we could become rich. And there are many people who say, well, that doesn't mean money. It means rich, like spiritually. I don't know what that means. I really don't know what that means when I go to the supermarket and I've got to buy food. I'm spiritually rich, I can't afford the food. No. But men who labor, well, let me ask you this question. Now I'm going to ask the people also who are visitors. Have you ever had a job done by a carpenter, a plumber, an electrician in your home where you have to pay the money? Ever happened to anybody? It's happened. And they come along to you and say, it's going to cost you 150 pounds. You say, well, oh, I was only expecting 50. 150 pounds. But I'm a Christian. It's got nothing to do with it. 150 pounds, please. So you complain, but you give the money. And then they go and you say, oh, it's not expensive. We're never going to have him again. 150 pounds. I thought it would only be over 50 pounds. No, no, it's 150 pounds. A laborer, is worthy, it's what the Bible says. A laborer is worthy of his hire. If you want a job done, here's the cost, you've got to pay it. If you keep leaders in the house of God who are supported by the church in their finances poor, it means you really don't value the things that they're giving you. Can I say this to you this morning? A day will come when every one of us, if time goes on and Jesus hasn't come, every one of us in the seat you are occupying today, can I say this, in 90 years' time, is going to be vacant from your presence. For some of us, it will be shorter than 90 years. But when we meet him, we will be glad that we had the elders we had who taught us eternal things that are going to be of value there.